the wild, wild west of an affiliate opening up. And it's either like, there's like agave and chamomile scented wet towels available for you to like wipe your hands with mm-hmm. between sets. And then like down the street is like the rust and dust CrossFit gym. That's just like chains and the bathrooms haven't been cleaned in years. And like, you know, showers sometimes works and there's never any hot water. Like, you know, the years of that being the norm within like a one mile radius of each other is for sure over. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is a famous content creator within the CrossFit space. He's a former affiliate owner and has an amazing YouTube channel, Armin Hammer TV. Mr. Armin Hammer, welcome to the show, man. Dude, I'm so pumped, Bryce. Thanks for having me on. It's been, I feel like, I don't know, four or five years since you and I have connected. You were you were chasing us around when we were doing all that strongman stuff with Julian Pinot. Yeah, yeah, it's been, it has been a while. I mean, that was, uh, God, I, I, if I remember correctly, that was the summer of 2015. That was right yep. before the 2015 games. And uh, Julian was out there with you guys just ruining some afternoons with the arm over arm <laughs> sled pulls and the sandbag carries. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a great summer for me. It absolutely, it absolutely was a great summer. And I mean, it, it was also, you know, obviously the work was, was very challenging out there with, you know, sled pushes and pulls, yoke carry, sandbag madness. But it was also really cool, just the organic connection that we all got to form. Uh, being out in, in the beautiful sun, I think that was the most tan I've ever been in my whole life. And uh, it was cool to kind of connect with you. And, you know, that was when I felt like you were starting to kind of come into your own and kind of formulate a little bit of name of a name within the space. You know, how, how did that kind of feel knowing your roots at that time and how far you've come to the now? Man, that's that's a good observation. It was really a formative time for me because that was my first summer covering the CrossFit Games for Flow. And I had just started that job earlier in, uh, in spring, like in May, I think is when I started that job. And I just moved to Austin and I pitched them on this like concept of, you know, why are the best crossfitters in the world doing the team thing? Like, why don't we go and visit all of them and do this documentary with all of them? And so I got a chance to travel around and be face to face with you guys in Invictus in San Diego. I hung out with Hackenbrook and his team. I hung out with uh, Kalipa and and NorCal. Like it was just such a cool summer. And it it was a good chance for me to kind of prove not just to, you know, Flo who just hired me and like, you know, moved me out from LA to Austin or just to the fans who were interested in hearing about, but also to myself a little bit that I could actually do the job and, tell a good story and, and, you know, foster some really strong relationships. And I think, yeah, I think it set the tone in a really positive way. I couldn't agree more, man. Like when I watch your YouTube channel, I feel so connected with you. I mean, we got to connect a little bit early on, but like, I feel like every time I see you, we pick up right where we left off. And so I, I definitely think that you found your craft and, you know, watching you, you know, continue to layer upon that amazing foundation has been really cool just observing from afar. Thanks, man. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a, uh, I think craft is a really interesting way of describing it because it comes across as uh, something that, that is much easier than it seems. And I think that's, that's one part of it that I really enjoy. And a lot of times when people ask me, Hey, I'm thinking of starting a podcast or starting a YouTube channel. The first thing I do is I just tell them, do it. 
like you won't know. I, mm-hmm. I could tell you what the technical skills involved are. I could tell you what the creative process looks like. And I can tell you a lot of different aspects of the day-to-day of like creating, but you won't know until you do it. And I think when people give it a shot and they try it out and you know, they start a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever it ends up looking like, then they really understand that there is a lot that goes into it. And this isn't just to like, you know, toot my own horn. There's still, I'm learning every single day. I, I still study every single day about, you know, how YouTube works and what, what success means and how to create the right sort of feeling with your words and your technical skills and speaking skills, all of that. And I still study that on a regular basis. I think a lot of people just, because we consume so much content, just everybody in general, we kind of lose sight of, of what goes into making it. And it's, it is very fun to develop that skill. And I think it's applicable to a lot of things that people do, whether it's coaching or, you know, just talking to other groups or work in general, anytime you have to interact with another person, just having that, that skill set of communicating is strong. That's very cool. And, and the content that you provide on your YouTube channel, it's so relevant. It's so in depth, but as I mentioned to you a little bit beforehand, you do this really unique ability to take really complex matters within the sport of CrossFit, the business of CrossFit, the mindset of CrossFit, and then the workouts within CrossFit. And you make it incredibly digestible across all populations, whether people are physically in the space or not really in the space. How did you kind of develop that ability? And would you mind sharing with our listeners, like, how you kind of do that process. So that way, like you're relatable to all kinds of demographics rather than people just within the CrossFit bubble. Yeah. You know, I, that's been one of my main, like my main driving goal has been to be able to do that sort of simplify and communicate what is actually going on, why it matters and convey it in the most accessible way possible. And I think the, the start of that, and it's going to sound kind of strange to say it this way. I think people might look at it like I'm trying to pat myself on the back or whatever, but the way that it started was I was coaching CrossFit. I was teaching people very complicated things about their bodies that they had no experience with before. And I needed to be able to simplify it in a way where I could get a group of 10 or 12 people who've never really snatched before to at least passably snatch in order to do whatever the workout was that we were doing at our gym that day. And I think this experience of being in front of a group of people, uh, and I'm in like my early twenties, I'm just like full of spit and just think that I'm like the best thing in the world. I've just got out of college, (laughs) right? You know, I've been training CrossFit for a few years. I'm like fitter than any of these people are. And somehow, you know, having gotten my level one and like been an assistant coach with a bunch of different coaches, I I found myself like standing in front of this group of people and I'm responsible. I'm responsible for their experience in this hour. Like they are literally paying me money in order to have the experience that I sold them on. And I Mm -hmm. think that pressure and that environment forced me to be really good at simplifying complex topics. And in that space, it started with things like teaching people how to snatch or squat or do a push up or even just movements that are more global understanding what your hips are doing for you know an arch versus a hollow and seeing that the light in their eyes when they understand it finally we had members who literally had never run and teaching them how to run like they had seen people run and i know it sounds crazy but like they'd seen people sprint 
and they thought they knew what their body was doing when they would sprint. And I would ask them, I want you to sprint from one end of the room to the other end of the room. And it was completely effed up. It was just like not <laughs> right at all. It's like, oh, you've never done this. Well, let me teach you how to do this. And so the idea of simplifying these, these physical capacities into something that people can actually understand, but then implement into their own existence was where this entire idea of like contextualizing and making these, these types of information accessible came from. And it just so happened that like whatever part of my brain really, really loved CrossFit, which is most of it, mm-hmm. also really happened to like absorb everything that had to do with the games, the methodology, the history, the people involved, their relationships, why everything connects and how it all matters. And so when things would occur in the space, it was really easy for me to take that same practice of simplifying what is a very complex thing like the snatch and teaching that to a group of people when basically doing the same thing. I'm looking at a complex topic like drug testing in sports or the uh, season structure and why it's put together the way it is, what the pros and cons are. And I'm able to simplify that into a 10 or 12 minute video that kind of gives you all the information you need and the background on why it's important. And so there's a direct link in my mind to what I was doing on the floor at our affiliate to what I do right now on my YouTube channel. Absolutely, that's such a great articulation of it. And it also shows the transferability of skills, right? How you do anything is how you do everything. And utilizing the same principles of, of teaching the basics within the sport of CrossFit, within the fitness and, and the different modalities within CrossFit is translated to your world within the creative space and your YouTube channel. And I, I just think it's so beautiful how you articulated that, man. I know you're not, you're not described as beautiful often, so I'll, I'll be the first <laughs> over here to, to, to snag that Thank one. But you. I, I just thought it was really cool how you described the light going off. I think I heard you talk about it on Barbell Shrugged where... There's something about CrossFit that keeps bringing all of us back. And, you know, we'll dive into some of the challenges of owning an affiliate, which you've done, some of the challenges within the business and the leadership side of things over the last couple of years. But there's also something really amazing there where it has changed all of our lives in in almost a magical type way. And, you know, we kind of touch on that a little bit and like the magic within how CrossFit has not only just changed your life, but a lot of the lives of those around you and not just from a health and wellness standpoint, but also from a a monetary standpoint, right? There's so many different avenues within the sport. A lot of people finish with a kinesiology degree and, you know, as opposed to being a personal trainer at a 24 hour fitness, now there's different avenues and creative ways to implement that knowledge that they learn at universities. What does that kind of you know mean to you? I don't know what it is. Whatever that essential quality of CrossFit that makes it so viral is not the right word because it doesn't quite spread that aggressively, but when it bites, it holds on forever. I just don't know how else to describe it because when I, so I started doing CrossFit, I was uh, 19, I think, and I was in college and I was bored and it was the first real physical practice that I committed to. I mean, I ran in high school, but I did that more as like a hobby and less as like an intellectual endeavor. And CrossFit challenged me both intellectually and physically. And so it really kind of got me on both ends. And so I I really loved reading about the methodology and why it exists the way it does and 
talking to people who came from other backgrounds, other physical backgrounds and why they got into CrossFit and how they got into it and how they implement both where they came from and what they're doing in that moment together into like something new and unique and creative. And so it really gave me something to chew on. It really gave me something to think about and be engaged with both like mentally and physically. And that end result of committing to it and committing to that process of just discovering the rough edges of my own fitness and understanding how my body works. It's kind of like a foundation to many of the things that I've done since then, not just in the sense that yes, I've worked primarily within this industry over the past like dozen years or so, but the method by which I do my work is colored by my experience training in CrossFit. I seek out really uncomfortable tasks and try and get them done as quickly as possible so I can move on to other things, right? I, I know that physically there isn't going to be any level of discomfort that I have doing my work that is going to top the level of discomfort that I have doing whatever the workout was that morning. Or the challenge, the actual physical challenge involved in developing, like I, like I said, I never really was athletic. So learning how to snatch, learning how to clean and jerk, finding my body and myself through these movements and the practice of developing them, that type of method of sort of finding an end goal, defining your process and getting yourself just like launched in that direction is kind of how I run my business. And for better or worse, I'm sure there are better ways of doing it, but that's kind of how I've done it this entire time. And I think that is a lot of it is sort of like dripped out of my experience of just doing it that way through, you know, reps and sets and workouts over and over and over again to develop physical capacities. And I think that's common across a lot of people. Like my older brother, he's the guy who introduced me to CrossFit. He had started maybe six months or so before I did. And he like completely has transformed the type of work that he does, the type of uh, businessman he is, the type of father he is. And I know a lot of people are in that same place of, oh, well, I came into this expecting to just work out. And I came out of it six months later, six years later, 10 years later, a completely different and or potentially better person. So there's definitely something to be said about the effect of having this practice, this community, this group of people in your life is something that is not just the physical act of getting in good shape. Like you sell people on the abs because that's what brings them into the door because they don't know that they want something else. And then it turns out like something much more important is happening there. So it's so, so true, man. And it also just goes to show how when you use fitness appropriately, it can positively impact the rest of your life. It's such a foundational principle to, to so many different things. I think the way you Absolutely. described that was really cool. So you got into CrossFit at, at 19 years old and you know, you're doing the coaching thing. You're finding ways to, to simplify complexity. You're building relationships with people. What led to you owning an affiliate in 2011? And what was that experience kind of like? I was like a college student that was absolutely not engaged in my, in my studies. You know, I, I was studying uh, cognitive science at the time and I was studying philosophy and those, that's where my degrees are. They're in, they're in cognitive science and philosophy. And I was planning on being an academic. So I was going to leave 
was going to graduate and I was going to go into a master's or doctorate program in philosophy. And the idea of being a teacher was kind of the, the impetus behind that. I was like, I love my philosophy classes. I love the discussions involved. I love my professors. They're fantastic. And if I can be that for somebody else, that is like green light. I did it right. My life is well lived. Like we're good to go. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of being a teacher was like a core to what I was thinking I wanted to do eventually. And I, I thought to myself, all right, I'll give myself, you know, six to 10 years, get a master's and a PhD, and then get a placement somewhere in a faculty and I'll be a teacher. That's going to be great. I'll be Professor Armin. It's fantastic. <laughs> and so I, so I graduated college and right as I was graduating, my older brother, who was also doing CrossFit at the time, was kind of tired of his, of his job and he wanted to find something new. And we were lucky enough to be members of CrossFit LA out in Los Angeles and Santa Monica with Andy Petronic, who, who had started it and was then the owner. And we were both involved in the sort of like coaching development program that he had there and being assistants and being interns almost. And Z, my older brother, essentially was like, you know what, I'm going to take a risk here, like a big flyer. I'm leaving my job and I'm going to open a gym. And I told him, I will 100% be there. Like I, I'm, I'm applying for this grad school thing, but like I 100% am in to like help you out, open the doors and, and try and be around. And that turned into like, okay, well, I think I can probably help more than just helping you set up and open the doors. And then he, he was having a child that summer. So we opened in March and he was having a child in July. And he was like, all right, I need you to, I need you to step up a little bit more than just opening the doors. And I was like, I'm in 100% I'm in. And so I, I, put all my grad school plans on the back burner, figured that's always going to be available to me and decided to explore this like coaching and running a business and owning a gym thing as best I could. And it turns out that there isn't that big of a difference between what I envisioned being a professor is like and what being a coach is like. You know, I, I get to pick my curriculum. I get to have my students. My students are actually better because they choose to be there instead of just, you know, undergrads that are forced to take some class for their your graduation requirements. And it was very, very rewarding. And I feel like I've kind of kept that thread going this entire time of, of really leaning into like the, the teaching quote unquote aspect of, of what I do. I think that's, the, that's really cool that you took the leap and you were there to help your brother so much. Where was your, your CrossFit located? What was the name of it? And what were some of the experiences you had as an owner? Because I know uh, I've heard many CrossFit owners talk about this where, hey, I love working out. I love coaching CrossFit and the teaching of CrossFit. I'm just going to submerge myself in it. And then you realize sometimes you get pulled away from the sexy things within CrossFit and you're pulled into the weeds of running a business and payroll and you know, finding ways to keep the lights on. And so what was the ownership of CrossFit kind of like? And, you know, how was that journey? I 100% feel for every single person who has done exactly what you described, because you start the thing because you love it and you want to teach people how to do this like weird fitness thing that nobody understood at the time. And you see that there's an opportunity there and then you run into the actual day-to-day -day of running a business. And I was very lucky in that my family is very entrepreneurial. Like my dad's a businessman. Both my brothers are businessmen. Like, you know, my mom is very entrepreneurial. It just runs in the family. And so 
I was very lucky that the deal that my brother and I came up with is that he would have to deal with all the headaches of payroll and negotiating our lease and all that stuff and dealing with our landlord while I got to do the sort of like general manager, I guess is a good way of describing it, the day-to-day making sure that our assistant coaches and interns were learning what they needed to learn, making sure our schedule is up to date, websites updated, programming is done, that our members are getting what they're paying for, communicating and handling our membership. So he, he handled kind of like the red tape, bureaucratic, garbage, California, ridiculous employment laws. And uh, he handled all that. And so I was kind of buffered from that, which is really nice. And the other side of it was I was the guy who was kind of running the program and the actual touch point for a lot of the affiliates. And between the two of us, we coached almost all the classes. We had a few coaches that we came that came on over the years. I think a lot of affiliate owners will relate to the idea that there's a lot of positives and there's a lot of negatives. And the downside is usually not shown to a lot of people. They, they just don't get to see it. Because in a way, you're like a really interesting hour in somebody else's day. You're almost like a guide on this like experience, not really like experiencing it with them as much as you're guiding them through this experience that's really positive and energetic and interesting and engaging. And that takes a lot of energy and the bubbling underneath all that energy could be a lot of other things. And for us, we had a couple of experiences where You know, some of our coaches would kind of go behind our backs and make their own affiliate or open up, try to open up their own gym down the street. And it caused a lot of big issues. Like, you know, it was never easy to see those types of things happen and to have those types of relationships sort of fall apart due to that, that type of uh, an experience. And, you know, looking back at that sort of thing, I only ever really remember the positives Maybe that's a character flaw, but I don't think so. I think it's a good thing that I only yeah, really remember. You, man. Yeah. I only, I only really remember all the positive experiences that came with being an affiliate owner and, and a coach. Like the people that I met, the relationships that I built, I still interact with them to this day. You know, I still remember my 5 a.m. classes, you know, the, 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 just the hardcore of the hardcore showing up at that the crack of dawn to get their fitness in before heading out to the office you know, I still remember and talk to all these, these people. And it's a testament to not just the sort of community that my brother and I were able to build, but also the effect that the members, the members and the membership had on us as the owners of the gym, as the coaches, that we have these strong relationships still. And, uh, you know, I would definitely do it again. And I don't think I would change a single thing. You know, I, I think I would just go through it again with all the same ups and downs and all the same highs and lows. That's awesome, man. And that was CrossFit 818, right? It was. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't even answer your original no, question. No, yeah. No, CrossFit no. 818, just outside of LA. We were in Glendale, California. Okay. The reason why I, I wanted to lean into that a little bit is just being from the San Fernando Valley, 818 is always going to hold a special place in my heart. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm never getting rid of that area code in my phone. I've got Me my neither. cell number and I'm never getting rid of it. <laughs> yep. yep. 818, man. I love it. And, and so, you know, you had this amazing experience owning your affiliate from 2011 to 2015. You've been kind of in the CrossFit space, man, for over a decade now. You're very well connected with athletes, with knuckleheads like me pursuing the media side of things, with the, the, the higher ups within the CrossFit space, Glassman, 
you know, Matt Frazier, Rich Froning, you know, you mentioned Tommy Hackenbrook, Jason Kalipa, Chris Spieler, like some of these guys that are staples within the sport. What are your thoughts on, you know, some of the, the gentle shifts within the sport this, this last couple of years? You know, let's start on the athletic side of things and how, you know, we've seen shifts from your coined term sanctionals and then the newer structure. And then after that, let's kind of lean in a little bit to the, the business shifts and the transition from ownership being Greg Glassman and now to Eric Rosa. Yeah, so those are, yeah, there's a lot there for sure. You know, the, the sports side of it, the athletic side of it, the competitive side of it. So I liked the fact that regionals went away. I know I'm like kind of, a, I'm kind of one in a million here, apparently. Everyone's just clawing, just hoping for regionals to come back and we're kind of there now. But uh, I, was, I was absolutely 100% on board with regionals going away for a few reasons. And the biggest one to me was that as long as CrossFit as a corporation 100% directly controls and owns every aspect of the sport, it will never ever be as big as it could be or as influential as it could be. As long as it's just essentially a marketing arm for the methodology, it will not become a real sport because that's all it is. It's just kind of marketing and propaganda. And that's kind of what my biggest issue with regionals and the media around the games always was. It was very much driven by the stories that were either personally connected to the people making those stories or the people involved in organizing the sport, or they were just directly advantageous to whatever they perceived as their bottom line. And it also turned out that my feeling about regionals was supported by the math, that the way that the games were being run was bankrupting CrossFit as a company. So CrossFit doing away with regionals was a big positive in my mind. Now the system that they replaced it with had its ups and downs, right? I think sanctionals definitely had a lot of potential. The idea of creating a sort of tour of events like a golf tour or a tennis tour and having this various set of you know competitions or tournaments or whatever you want to look at them as that culminate in a world championship, that makes a lot of sense. It didn't make sense in its actual implementation because the infrastructure wasn't quite there. But as a concept, it was much more viable. It was much more powerful. And it proved something that I think a lot of people didn't understand, which is events are very challenging to run and create, but are not impossible to run and create. And there were a lot of events that came up over the past couple of years during that sanctional season that I think a lot of people never had any experience with who were doing it just as good, if not better than CrossFit ever did it. And that type of a, that type of an exchange of ideas and best practices and organizational methods for events is only going to make the entire system better. So I think that was one of the biggest potential pros for that sanctional system in that, you know, events like Wadapalooza or Filthy 150 or Granite Games or Dubai or now Rogue, right? You can learn from these events and implement some of their best practices into what you're doing because what they were doing was different from what regionals were. It was different from what the games were. And I think they showed that, hey, you know what? CrossFit doesn't need to shoulder the burden 
of running all of these events on their own. And now that we're seeing the sport kind of go back to something like regionals with this sort of like semifinals that are delineated by continents, they seem to have learned part of that lesson at least because the semifinals are all independently run and organized. CrossFit isn't what trying is to hold the new the structure there. It starts with yeah, the so, open three weeks, three workouts. Yep. Three weeks. And then uh, the top 10%. So everybody is separated into their various continents. The continents are uh, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, and uh, Oceania is number six, which includes you know New Zealand and Australia. The, Top 10% from each of those continents through the open makes it to what's called quarterfinals. Quarterfinals is like an online competition that takes place over a weekend, very similar to the age group online qualifiers that we've seen over the past few years, as well as stage one of the 2020 games, which was all online. So it's going to be that type of thing, a handful of events over the course of a couple of days. Then from there, there's a very select group of people that qualify for the semifinals and the semifinals are going to be it's 10 events that are taking place around the world. There's four in North America, two in Europe, and then one in all the remaining, in all the remaining continents. And there's going to be, I want to say 30 individuals from each division invited to compete for the semifinals that from there, a handful are going to qualify for the games. So at the games, there should be something like 40 men, 40 women, and I want to say 40 teams, but it might be 30 teams. And the qualification process feels a lot more like the old qualification process where it went from the open to the regionals and then the regionals to the games. And there's kind of like this sharpening of the sword, like the pyramid is built up from like the biggest base all the way to like the tip top and eventually number one in the world. And so it kind of has that feeling again, which is one of the biggest problems with the sanctional system is like, it was impossible to tell how people were making it to the CrossFit games. There was the open qualification and national champions. And then if you already had a spot, but you won a sanction event, it like went down the line. And so eventually sanctionals were just competing. The CrossFit game spot was eighth place or ninth place. And it didn't really matter who won the sanctional to begin with. And so that was a very confusing problem that, that we ran into with that, that structure and this is a much simpler and much more easy to understand structure. And they're kind of taking some of the best parts of having independent organizers during sanctionals with some of their favorite parts of having a lot of uh, sort of media control with regionals and like splotching that together into this whole semifinals and continentals thing. Yeah, I think it's a, a really unique blend in the way they did it. And it also enhances the inclusivity within the beginning. Whereas before, a lot of people, I think if they didn't do well on like the first two or three open workouts when it was previously five weeks, they, they kind of lost hope because they knew they weren't going to make regionals. But now with that being 10%, I'm seeing a lot more people you know, that are in that middle bracket or even that third tier bracket a little bit more excited about the open because they have the potential to move on to that semifinals, you know, kind of location. What are your thoughts on the inclusivity that Eric Rosa and the new, new staff kind of brought on? Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things about this new season format is that the opens three weeks, the open was originally, you know, there's only about 10,000 of us or 20,000 of us that did the first open in 2011 and it was six weeks. It was scheduled for six weeks, but it was actually seven. 
because the first week they messed up with the website and they gave us another week to submit that score. Mm-hmm. So it was actually seven weeks. And in case you're wondering, almost two months is a brutally long time to be thinking about this, like way too long. Five weeks was a great move in the right direction, but still was too long. Five weeks was way too long. And the fact that it took this many years for us to get to the three-week open, I'm just glad that it's finally occurred. You know, it feels like the open just started and we're about to finish it this coming weekend. And that is huge because it means that you don't have to set aside a month and a half or two months of your life to be stressed out over these workouts. You know, even if you're like me, and I don't particularly care about what my score is, finding the time to coordinate these like very specific workouts with my camera and, you know, or at my friend's garage or like at my local gym, like that's not something I want to be spending my time or energy doing for more than like a month. And this is perfect. Getting it done in three weeks is perfect in in an opportunity to get people to actually participate and finish it out. And you and I both know that the drop-off after like week three of participation in the open is, it's like a cliff. People just lose interest in putting themselves through it by the time the fourth and fifth week roll around. And you can just see in the numbers, the number of people who submit a score in the first week historically versus the last week is always a really big difference. So now that it's only three weeks, it's fantastic for getting more and more people involved. And I definitely like uh, a few of the things that Rose has done. You know, I enjoy that he's a big fan of the sport. I think that's very clear that he's a big fan of the sport. He talks about like trying to make the CrossFit Games himself a few years ago. He, you know, clearly lives and breathes the the sport side of it, including the the new adaptive divisions is like super cool in in the sense that it absolutely opens the door for a group of people that haven't necessarily been like ignored, but just were being served by like the, the events side of it. You know, Wadapalooza, Granite Games, um, you know, they had these like adaptive divisions showing up to compete. CrossFit never really had the adaptive thing down. And I think having that in the space officially is a very cool way of opening the doors to a population that absolutely deserves to have the methodology introduced to them. And, you know, the, the other side of it though, is I think that there are certain things that Rosa should have done right off the bat that, that he never, never really did. And I mean, it sound it feels like the window for those types of opportunities are starting to close because the longer you go without doing that type of like big transformational thing, the harder it is to do it. And I mean, the thing that I would have done right off the bat, if I was Eric Rosa is cleaned house like immediately, like from the top down, I would have replaced basically every single person that was in a leadership role at CrossFit. And the reason behind that is because you're trying to build something new. You know, the CrossFit that Greg Glassman had built and cultivated and organized, that clearly wasn't the CrossFit that Eric Rosa had in mind. It's not the way that he wants to run his business. And keeping around any of the management that were involved in creating that organization and creating the products that they were looking at and putting out back then, is just going to do more of the same. And if more of the same isn't what you're looking for, which it seems like Eric Rosa wants to do something a little bit different, then keeping the same people around is is a, a strange decision to me. But who knows? I mean, he's seems like a pretty smart guy and maybe he knows something I don't and uh, you know, we'll see what where where that goes, but 
that's something I would definitely would have done differently. What are your thoughts on, he did a very unique job of rather than jumping in and being this dictator type, type new leader, he definitely rallied the troops and, you know, hopped on Zoom calls with some of the, the really big time leaders within the space. He, he's obviously bringing back Dave Castro in, a, in more of a leadership role, which for some of us OG CrossFitters is a little bit of a nostalgic feeling, but also is like this love hate thing. What, what are your thoughts on, you know, him kind of sitting back a little bit and listening to some of the core pillars within the sport? Versus kind of doing what, what you mentioned, which is like, you know what, I want a clean house. I want a new flavor within the space. And I kind of want, it, want to run things a little bit differently. I think Eric Rosa has clearly had a lot of success in business. So like, you know, I'm just a guy with a YouTube channel and he is a guy who sold his company to Oracle for over a billion dollars. So like, there's, there's a little bit of a difference between <laughs> our, 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 the maybe not like you know you could argue that uh maybe the entire reason that happened is because he got lucky and i'm unlucky but i don't think that's the case clearly he knows a lot more about business than i do and clearly he has that skill so my assumption would be that a guy like eric rosa when given the opportunity to buy a company like crossfit you know he comes in he kicks the tires he sees to make sure that the guys like the the company exists and is it is what it says it is and then he, you know, rounds up the funding necessary. He buys the company and then he gets to work trying to figure out where the issues are and how to move it closer to what his vision is. And it doesn't necessarily need to be an outright clear vision right off the bat. I think just like anybody else, there's a little bit of learning on the job, right? You know, mm -hmm. you, you get into a, even a career that you've been technically trained for. You walk into your job the first time and you have to learn where do certain things go? What's the actual scope of practice? How does things actually happen in, a, in an actual timeline? Like where do these projects begin and end? And I think part of the strategy that Eric Rosa laid out, which is a really good strategy, is a smart way of doing things, is he came in, he spoke to what he knew how to speak to, but he surrounded himself with a team of people who are really smart. He brought in some people that he already knew and, and had relationships with. He hired other people that he did not necessarily have prior relationships with. And he just tried to figure out what this thing actually was and where it can go. And I think his vision for what he's trying to create CrossFit into right now is probably very different than what it was when he bought CrossFit. And it's only been about six months or nine months or something, right? So just the experience of walking in and like having the keys, right? <laughs> Being the guy with the keys you know, you try and get an idea of what is actually going on under the hood and then you can make some actions. And I think we've seen, there's been some turnover inside of his like senior staffing just from that first month, he hired people in to do a job that he thought he would need to do. And it turns out after a few weeks, like this actually isn't what I thought it was going to be. We need a different person to run this because it's a completely different job. And that process is, is something that I think he's exceptionally good at. He has to be good at that. He's proven he's good at it with his previous work. And I think he's going to be proven that he's good at it with this work as well. And that is probably, if I had to guess, because I, you know, I, don't, I don't know him, but if I had to guess, I would say that's probably why he took the approach he took is because he's learning it on the job and sort of formulating his vision from like the little seed, the little nugget that he has right now into like a full grown tree and then working backwards from there. 
That's cool, man. Your ability to use analogies to paint pictures is just mind boggling to me. It's so rad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. It's what I do. That's cool. That's cool. What were your thoughts? You mentioned Eric Rosa has been, been the new owner of CrossFit for the last eight or nine months. What were your thoughts on, you know, the, the Glassman comments that came out? Some of the big things that we heard on the Andy Stump podcast, Glassman's very quiet transition. We're not hearing a lot about it anymore. Obviously, his methodology is going to live on. There was a lot of good that he did as well that I, I, I do believe should be acknowledged as well. And then, you know, over the course of the last four or five months, we kind of started to see things come to the surface a little bit that we didn't necessarily know was going on within the CrossFit space, or maybe people did know and were fearful to kind of say things about it because of the legal history within the CrossFit space and whatnot. So what were your thoughts on, you know, that, that gentle transition from Glassman to Rosa and some of the, the things that lived in between all of that? Yeah, you know, I actually was having a, a conversation with a friend of mine earlier today, kind of about this as well. And Greg Lassen came up and the idea was like, he's not a guru. He's not a role model. And he should not be looked at as such. And he never should have been. He absolutely nailed it with a few things. He got, he got a few things like almost revolutionarily correct. The idea of the methodology behind CrossFit, defining fitness the way he did, the magic that happens inside of affiliates, none of that existed before Greg Glassman turned it into something. And every human being on the planet, if they're experiencing fitness, is experiencing something that has been affected by Greg Glassman's methodology. At the same time, he can be 100% ownership, responsibility, and praise for all those things. It doesn't mean that he's a role model or a good person. And I think that's something that a lot of people maybe have trouble wrapping their heads around. For some people who were kind of involved in the space or were able to sort of like peek behind the curtain a little bit, there isn't really a surprise that, you know, there was a lot of debauchery going on in the, in the background. I don't know what the extent of that is. I don't know any of the legal ramifications. I don't know what happened that is like legal or illegal, but I do know that like, you know, Greg loved to drink. I mean, there was no if, ands, or buts about it. And the first couple times that I met him, he was he was just off his rocker. And that's great. He was celebrating. That's fine. That's he's an adult. He has the opportunity to do that. But when that turns into, you know, various actions and behaviors and comments and stuff that is dehumanizing or downright just wrong, that is where lines are crossed for sure. And I think that we all got a very clear view as to where a line was crossed with Greg Glassman and his comments with uh, COVID-19 and George Floyd. I remember seeing his tweet and calling him. And I was like, Greg, you need to figure this out. This is not, this isn't okay. Like you need to explain this to people before it turns into a, an absolute disaster. Like you shouldn't have tweeted this out because it, there's no context behind what you're saying. What you're saying is incredibly inflammatory and super wrong. But I understand like you have a reasoning behind it. It's just that now in this context, there's going to be consequences for you spouting off like that, that aren't, that would, that there wouldn't be consequences in other scenarios. If you're with your family or with your staff or whatever, you know, this is public. 
I think he tried to, after that conversation, he tried to explain it a couple times. And I think the best way that I've described what happened was essentially like he had, he had this whole conversation in his own head about what he was reacting to. I forget he was even, he was responding to some tweet. So he saw this tweet and he like had this whole conversation in his head and the punchline, like the back end of that conversation was his comment, that Floyd 19 comment. But that context of what that entire conversation leading up to that comment was, wasn't there. And it's not to say that that context would absolve him of having used that, that comparison, but that context could have potentially given people an insight into what he's thinking, which is what was missing in a very short tweet. And I think the consequences of that were well-deserved. You know, I, I think the the fallout and the blowback that he got from that, from the affiliates, from the brands, from sponsors, was absolutely well deserved because it was it was only a matter of time. Like Greg was big on being adversarial and speaking his mind, and those two things combined can rub a lot of people the wrong way. And eventually, it was going to come back to bite him. And this is just the scenario it did. And Man, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't like that tweet at all. I didn't like the, I didn't like the response to it. I didn't like what it did to the community. I didn't like what his sort of reaction to people's reactions was. I think there was a lot of, I think a lot of people and a lot of groups and a lot of vibes dropped the ball in a lot of different ways. And the end result of Greg sort of like leaving the company and selling the company that he started I feel like is the only way that it could have gone. I was making a lot of videos at that time about how Greg holding on to CrossFit was at that point sort of like poisoning the well for everybody. And since then, I mean, it's not like it's, it hasn't been that bad since then because Rosa has done a good job of sort of moving us past that chapter. But at the same time, like if you look at in national news media, what CrossFit has been associated with rightfully or wrongfully, what it's been associated with over the past few months. It's like, it's not exactly the most kosher or huggable brand. I mean, Greg never wanted it to be a mainstream brand. He wanted to be adversarial. He wanted to be kind of like the snake in the grass. And now in like the political climate and the media climate that we have right now, it's like, what is, what's the main national stories that CrossFit has been associated with in the past year? And it's like Greg Glassman and Floyd 19, Marjorie Taylor Greene and QAnon, and then the gym owner in, I can't remember if it's in uh, like upstate New York or maybe Southern Maine or something like that, that was like flaunting their COVID restrictions and like, you know, using slurs or something in emails. I don't, I don't remember exactly what the, what the story was there, but like, those are like the main national stories that CrossFit as a brand has been associated with. And this is still something that ongoing CrossFit is going to be struggling with for, you know, the repercussions of this for a, a long time. Yeah. I mean, it, there's definitely still a little bit of a stench from these events. I, I, I would also say like around that time, it was an all time low for CrossFit you and I kind of saw the CrossFit in the beginning where it was like people were kind of figuring out it felt like this really hardcore fitness program. And then all of a sudden it started getting Reebok's attention. They signed that, that contract. It started getting ESPN's attention. And all of a sudden you see CrossFit kind of climbing the steps where it's gravitating towards the likes of 
motocross or potential potentially like the surf world like similar to an x games type vibe and then all of a sudden this type of stuff started to take place and you see going from the peak kind of starting to fall down a little bit and then for the last couple of years it just kind of flatlined the the structure within the sport was a little weird you google crossfit and it seems relatively intimidating you see the growth of orange theory and peloton and F45 and all these things popping up everywhere and people don't really understand the difference. They're like, Oh, it's all high intensity interval training, right? Like CrossFit down the street is the same as this CrossFit, right? And people didn't really understand how to decipher the methodology that you mentioned, uh, the meaning behind it. And all they had was this label that was in broad and inclusive media. And I think you did a really good job kind of describing that experience that CrossFit kind of went through, but what do you think is going to start happening moving forward? I think there's a lot of education around the difference between CrossFit on one corner versus CrossFit on another corner. We're all kind of understanding now that there's, you know, good lawyers, there's bad lawyers, there's good doctors, bad, bad doctors. There's really good CrossFit gyms and there's CrossFit gyms that need a little bit of work. What, what are your thoughts kind of there and the future of the sport and this really exciting new partnership with, with Noble? And they're kind of moving forward in a place with guys that are similar to you. They want to, they want to teach, they want to motivate, they want to inspire through a brand that is not necessarily a walking billboard that is a little bit broad and inclusive with the concept of athleisure and just that methodology of like wherever, whenever, however, we're going to get stuff done. Yeah. I, I think the noble deal is an interesting move. I'm curious to see how it pans out because you know, Noble is committed to, and we haven't seen the number yet, but they've committed to the largest prize pool in uh, CrossFit Games history. That's great. I'm, I'm excited to see that happen. The athletes 100% need to be paid and they need to be able to make a living wage doing this. Otherwise the sport is doomed to begin with. Like before it can even grow, it's going to be doomed because if only 10 athletes are able to make money doing it, then you know, what happens to the remaining, you know, top 50 athletes who are trying to make a living doing it. So I think it's really interesting to see Noble step in. I'm curious to see what their return is going to be because, you know, single-handedly CrossFit saved Reebok from bankruptcy because of the deal. You know, they were able to make Reebok a relevant brand again to a very committed demographic, a very committed and well-off demographic. So Noble already has a really good foothold within the space. It could be using CrossFit and the CrossFit games as sort of a launching pad into other sports. And I think that's fantastic and more power to them. The future of the CrossFit games, the future of CrossFit, those are, those are much rougher waters, right? I think based off of what I've seen from Eric Rosa and, and what his communicated goals have been and what they're trying to do, and some of the stuff they talked about in the town hall, it feels like CrossFit is sort of ramping up to be a competitor against something like Peloton. And from a business model perspective, it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, if you look at what the cost of a Peloton is, it's something like, I don't know, $1,800 to $2,200 or something like that, plus a $30 or $40 a month membership. And that is something that CrossFit as a company can easily create, you know, partner with a manufacturer like Rogue, you spend $1,500 and you can get someone essentials to do just about any CrossFit workout or just about any functional fitness or high intensity training workout. 
it's a barbell, a couple of plates, maybe a kettlebell, maybe a dumbbell and some sort of erg, maybe a medicine ball and shipped to your door for $1,500 plus 50 bucks a month gets you unlimited classes by like, you know, superstar trainers. You've basically got something to compete against Peloton. The other side of that is what happens inside the actual doors of CrossFit affiliates. And I think, again, not really knowing, and I'm just kind of looking at what types of things that he's talked about. It seems to me that he wants to create a much more homogenous experience inside of the affiliates. He wants the affiliates to feel a little bit more like one another, because you and I both know what happens inside the doors of this CrossFit gym over here is completely different than this CrossFit gym over here. And they share the same branding, but that's about it. And that's something that the outside consumer does not know. So, you know, part of our job as an affiliate owner was to almost choose our members. We would bring our members in we'd show them what we do. We'd educate them on the methodology and we would tell them why we're different from other CrossFit gyms or from other gyms they might join. And that's what justified our price point. That's what justified the service we offered and what we charged for it. And an affiliate that doesn't get the ability to set their own terms and choose their own customers right off the bat is an affiliate that is eventually going to have to bow down to whoever does get to set their terms and choose their customers. And CrossFit's released this uh, sort of pilot program that's like an on-ramp, an, an online on-ramp that's like a series of classes that teaches you how to do certain movements and puts you through some workouts and then sets you up with a local affiliate. But how does it choose what local affiliate? And what happens if that person walks into that affiliate and the affiliate's like, great, we have our own on-ramp program. And the person's like, no, I already paid CrossFit to do my on-ramp. And they're like, well, this is how we make money. We make money by giving you personal training before you join the gym. So I don't know what you want us to do here. And so I think there's, there's a push a little bit from CrossFit in the sort of products that they're talking about, the technology they're talking about, that's going to try and smooth out some of the rough edges in the affiliates and make the affiliates a little more similar to one another. And, you know, the CrossFit that was under Greg Glassman for all of its benefits, all of its drawbacks, all of its positive, all of its negatives is completely gone. Like it is not a thing anymore. That was like a strange, very wild, almost out of control, like tumorous growing in a way that could be really positive in one end and like be super successful, but also be kind of cancerous and really bad in the other end and be just like really drag itself down and was completely uncontrolled. It was like, whatever goes, goes. It's like an experiment right from the Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory. Mm-hmm. And that experiment is, it's over, it's over. We saw what the end result of that experiment was and that experiment is over. So the thing that is CrossFit right now is completely and by definition is incongruous with what CrossFit was. And it just so turns out that like the 14 or 15,000 affiliates are more of a reflection of what CrossFit was. So whatever that experiment was, there's going to have to be a changing of the guards to make the affiliates brought up to speed with what it is right now. And I don't know if that's going to mean that like all the affiliates have to be direct franchises of CrossFit and there's more control over your schedules and what you're teaching and what your, your, your uh, class plans are and what the programming is and what your coaches wear and what equipment you sell or what protein you have on the shelves. Like, I don't know if that's going to be the end result, 
but I do know for a fact it has to change. Like the, the wild, wild west of an affiliate opening up and it's either like the nicest, there's like agave and uh, chamomile scented wet towels available for you to like wipe your hands with mm-hmm. between sets. And then like down the street is like the rust and dust CrossFit gym that's just like chains and the bathrooms haven't been cleaned in years and like, you know, showers sometimes works and there's never any hot water. Like, you know, the years of that being the norm within like a one mile radius of each other is for sure over. Like it, it is going to change and it has to change because this is a different thing. It just happens to have the same name. Do you potentially see like an increased fee with regards to the yearly affiliation? And then do you potentially see some gyms that are doing it pretty well already kind of looking at this, like, I don't really want to be, you know, on a, on CrossFit's leash and controlled like this. I think I'm just going to lean into de-affiliating. What, what, what do you think with regards to that? Cause obviously we saw a lot of gyms after the Glassman, you know, issue that we already discussed, they, you know, de-affiliated. And so what are your thoughts with regards to the, the gross, growth with regards to affiliation and also the, the potential decrease if there's this homogenous goal within the, the business side of the sport. Yeah, I think CrossFit needs to, as a company, figure out what their selling point is for potential affiliates and current affiliates. And I think it's completely fair for affiliates to look at what they're paying for their affiliate fee and say, you know what, I'm not getting what I'm expecting or what I deserve from that spend. I can spend it somewhere else or just not spend it at all and get something better out of it. And that's completely fair. It's up to CrossFit to say, hey, this is why it's worth it for you to give us X amount of thousands of dollars each year. Now, from like a traditional franchise perspective where some franchise companies cost tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, and there's like a revenue share involved in running it, CrossFit's affiliate model is incredibly hands-off and very cheap. Mm-hmm. which is why we saw such an explosion of CrossFit affiliates in the early 2010s. But I think these days it's a more sophisticated person that's walking into starting a CrossFit affiliate. They've experienced a lot more within the CrossFit space and they have a much better idea of what will succeed as a business and what won't. And because of that sophistication, CrossFit's product to those affiliates needs to also become more sophisticated. So I'm not 100% sure that's going to mean that the affiliate model will totally be revamped into something more like a franchise, or it'll stay the same as the affiliate model and maybe it gets more expensive. But what I do know is that regardless of what happens to the core relationship between affiliates and CrossFit, CrossFit is absolutely developing more things to provide its affiliates for a fee. And it makes total sense. The business that Greg Glassman left behind, the affiliates are worth literally billions of dollars. And they were never squeezed for more than the littlest amount of money possible. That was kind of Greg Glassman's strange business model experiment, the least rents model. He's like, what's the least that I can charge you for the least amount of work that I can do for you? And that's exactly what we're going to do. I don't want to do anything more than I need to. And I don't want you to pay me anything more than that's worth. And so that's the lease rents model. It's give me a few thousand dollars a year. You get to use the name and we'll just make sure that you're not doing anything to besmirch us. Great. Now it's very different. You know, maybe that stays the same, but 
if CrossFit wants to serve the affiliates better, there's definitely technological ways that they can do that. And that's one of Eric Rose's strong points. So if he starts offering things like back of the house management, uh, client management, payment processing, uh, scheduling, training for uh, coaches, if he starts offering things like lesson plans or programming, these are all things that for you know 10 bucks a month or 2% per transaction or 50 bucks a month or $100 per head in terms of your assistant coaches or whatever, however they price it, people will absolutely jump on. You don't need 100% compliance. You just need like half the affiliates to comply. And suddenly you're making $100 million a year that you weren't making before. It's simply a matter of providing any sort of help that wasn't there before. And we've seen the marketplace already exist. Companies like Beyond the Whiteboard and Wattify and Zen Planner. Is Zen Planner even a thing anymore? It is, right? <laughs> I don't even know. Zen Planner. I, 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 be- uh, I believe it is. It was very complex back in the day. <laughs> yeah. M- mind, body, like all these different systems that exist to sort of help businesses like CrossFit affiliates or I don't know, martial arts schools or yoga studios or cycling studios or whatever, like to exist. There's no reason why CrossFit doesn't have its own version of all that stuff. Do you think it's going to be kind of like an F45 model where it's like when you begin as a new affiliate, you buy this whole package and that comes with, you know, the day-to-day programming. It comes with the management system. It comes with the automated scheduling and things like that, where it's kind of, you press a few buttons and, you know, it's a little bit easier for the affiliate owner to implement. Yes and no. I think that that is down the line, but I think that's the direction that it seems like we're moving towards. The idea of being a CrossFit affiliate is probably never going to go away, or at least not for a while. There's going to be that that vibe of like the type of person who wants to have the name on the building and nothing else. But at the same time, there's going to be a lot of people who come in and are just looking for as much guidance as possible. And I think that is exactly what you described is this idea that you come in and you sign up for your affiliation and you get like an an optionality of like, you know, which boxes do you want to check? Like you're buying a car, Mm -hmm. which, which uh, packages do you want? Do you want the enhanced stereo system? Basically what it's going to feel like, I think they're going to come in and they're going to say, do you want the back of the house software? Do you want payment processing? Do you want lesson plans? Do you want uniforms, a schedule, Uh, like whatever, you know, do you want training? All of that is absolutely within the realm of possibility. I think it's going to be a slow transition and then it's going to be a quick transition to where that might just be the only option. And then it's just a CrossFit gym is a CrossFit gym is a CrossFit gym. We shall see, man. I really appreciate the insight that you provide with regards to the business side. You, you do a really good job of picking up on trends within the space as well, given your personal experience. And obviously, it's kind of cool that you're able to step back and take that bird's eye view as well. So far within 2021, what are your thoughts on the open and the workouts that have been released so far? You've done a really good job providing analysis on each one of the workouts so far on your YouTube channel. What are your thoughts so far? It's going to be hard to tell, like hard to do like a full overall grading thing until we see what 21.3 is. Because so far we've seen 21.1 and 0.2. And they were, for my tastes, a little too similar in terms of 
the time domain. I love that time domain, that like nine to 12 minute time domain. That's like the bread and butter of CrossFit. Like if you were going to introduce a stranger to a CrossFit workout, it would probably be like a couplet or triplet. And it would probably be between nine and 12 minutes because that's like the perfect energy system to just bury somebody <laughs> and have them very immediately understand why what they're doing right now is different than anything they've ever done before. And so I think that's, that's both a positive and a negative. It's like the bread and butter energy system and time domain, but it's also, you only have three weeks. So why not do like long, medium, short or medium, medium, long or something like, why not do that? So we don't really know what 21.3 is going to be. Maybe it's going to be very short. Maybe it's going to be very long, but it has to be one of those two. It can't be another nine to 12 minute workout. Otherwise something seems to have been missing. I also like that we saw something new, although I'm very whatever about the wall walk. I don't personally think that the wall walk is a workout that should be done in that type of volume and that type of demand. Uh, like I think it, fun- it just functions better as like skill work. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like a Turkish getup. And there's that, there is a hero workout. That's like a bunch of Turkish getups, but it's kind of goofy and no one ever does it because it's kind of goofy. So like everyone kind of understands that this movement doesn't lend itself to this end result, right? Mm-hmm. It just, it's just not the most elegant tool for what you're trying to get. And I completely buy into the whole, like, it's challenging. Yes, check. It's super challenging. And also it's new. Great. Those two things apply to a lot of different movements that have never shown up in the open and don't deserve to be there. And I don't think that's it, that's sufficient enough to make an argument that wall walks should be continually used. At the same time, like, yeah, it was really tough. It was really, really tough. And I think that it exposed a lot of people to a movement that they should probably add into their like warmups and their skill sessions that they don't necessarily add into, uh, into those on a regular basis. But I would love to see, like, I'm just so curious as to how we're going to just wrap up this open in a way that sends the correct 10% to quarterfinals. And because honestly, because it's like 10%, it almost doesn't matter what's programmed. I'm like, like for me as like a, like really like originalist, like stickler with programming, like I need it to be perfectly balanced and understand how one workout plays off of another and where the relationships between those things are. But you're talking about 10%. You're talking about 10%, not even of like the RX scores. You're talking about 10% of people that signed up. So let's say of the people that signed up in any given continent, if only 50% of them are doing the workouts as prescribed, then 20% of the people who are doing the workouts as prescribed are actually making it to the quarterfinals. So it almost doesn't matter like what the workouts are because the people who are really, really good at CrossFit are just really, really good at all these different things. Mm-hmm. And if you're on the fence, then it like, it matters a little bit more. Cause then you're like, man, I just wish that it was dumbbell push press instead of dumbbell snatches. I'm way better at those or whatever. Right. So in a way there's that, there's like the part of me that's like way over analytical and just wants it to be like so perfectly balanced and spend all the time making sure that it covers all the bases. And uh, one thing that I've realized over the past, like especially over the past year or so, but definitely in the past like five months is that the way that I think CrossFit should do things is very different from the way that they think they should do things. (laughs) And it turns out, that they're the ones who are making those decisions and not me. So I just have to be 
you know, I can be critical and vocal and outspoken about how I think things should be done differently, but it's their show. Like I'm yeah. still playing in their game. So if it's their show and they get to make these decisions, who knows what 21.3 is going to be. It could just be a repeat of 21.1 for all I know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, th- I think your <laughs> predictions on one of your latest YouTube videos is, is pretty spot on. I think we'll see some sort of variation of thrusters and pull-ups, you know, maybe, maybe ascending weight thrusters with, you know, ascending complexity. So regular pull-ups and then chest to bar pull-ups and then potentially bar muscle-ups like a fantasy land type thing, potentially with a heavy lift at the end. Although I felt like your argument about not everybody in their garage has a ton of weight available. So that's definitely something to take into consideration. And then I also really liked the guess about the five minute AMRAP. And I, and I actually disagree that heavier weight would be the weight that they use. I think that they're going to use lighter weight, 135.95, because that makes it faster. Oh, God, that would uh, ruin people. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think that's kind of where they're, where they're leaning is just this, this whole message of like, you don't need a lot of space, you don't need a lot of time, and you don't need a lot of equipment to get the job done with regards to health, wellness, fitness, and obviously the sport of CrossFit as well, and creating a little bit more of a bridge or a relatability between your GPP, your, your, you know, general physical preparedness affiliate, you know, gym versus some of the competitive side of things that you see and kind of seeing that like, Hey, we can kind of do this together within the same space. It's just the, the goal and the intention is just slightly different. That's my uh, limited. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, I think one of the beautiful things about this type of a competition, and this is kind of it's going to sound really simple, but I think it actually speaks to something that like is going on at the highest levels here is that you can literally do anything, and people will compete in it in this space. You can ask people to do anything, and so in a way it almost doesn't really matter. Yeah, right? It almost doesn't really matter what you ask them to do. Once you ask them to do something, it is the competition and it kind of like defines itself. You're like, oh, well now it's this thing too. Surprise. <laughs> I, think, I think that's so true, man. What are your thoughts on, uh, just to kind of wrap things up here, we briefly talked about sanctionals. We talked about this, this whole model where it's leaning back into that quarterfinals that we're going to see in the third stage, and they'll be in varying locations around the world. And leaning into Matt O'Keefe and loud and live sports a little bit and kind of you know, handing some of the control over to you know, an external company like that and kind of partnering with them. I don't, I don't obviously know the, the logistics associated there. But what are your thoughts on that? They've obviously done a really good job at Wadapalooza and a few different other events around the years. And then, you know, they, they kind of got the short end of the stick when they were trying to do West Coast Classic and a few other things last year that ended up getting canceled. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I really love O'Keefe. I have gotten a chance to interact with him a bunch over the past couple of years, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, he's a very interesting guy to me. He's been able to build some really, really cool things and capitalize on a lot of really cool opportunities. I think Loud and Live as an organization running that many events is setting themselves up to do something that uh, no other company inside the space has like really been able to do, which is expand outside of the space. You know, I mean, Rogue is a perfect example of 
the success that comes with just doing something really right. And because of that, Rogue is like bigger than CrossFit, mm-hmm. uh, literally in terms of the business and also in terms of its brand value, I would say Rogue is bigger than CrossFit. And so the idea that Loud and Live in creating all these events to serve this community is going to be able to transcend this community. And that's the sort of pathway that I see them walking on. And I think it's really cool that they have a couple of events that are staying within the space. You know, they have their Granite Games, they have their West Coast Classics. But at the same time, the Wadapalooza is, be, is an independent event that's staying in Miami in January, February-ish. They're going to be able to create a brand and a value around Wadapalooza that isn't constrained to just the CrossFit space. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. So, you know, I, I'm very excited to see what they do. I, 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 like I said, I like O'Keefe a lot. His number two guy, Dylan, is like, he's the hardest worker in the space. Like I, mm-hmm. I cannot bet against Dylan. He's incredibly smart. He works really hard. He's got the right, he's got a right, good head on his shoulders. I'm very excited to see what, what they've got coming up next. And I don't know what they're going to try and do. I've, I've heard some like really wild types of like conjecture as to like what they could do. All of it is interesting to me. All of it's exciting to me between them. And like, there's a couple other events in the space that I have had the good fortune of, of running into and working with on a regular basis. I cannot speak highly enough uh, about those types of events. Like Wadapalooza is fantastic. Atlas Games is run by a lot of great people. Filthy 150 is incredible. And the fact that with the regionals environment, those events were basically being cast aside as secondary or not important to the community is a travesty. And even if the only end result of all of the turmoil over the past few years is that events like those events get to have their time in the sun and really get exposed to the community, that alone was worth all of that trouble because those those events and the organizers behind them are absolutely incredible and they're doing some very, very cool things for the for the people in the space. Nice, man. Well, I look forward to kind of seeing them. I've heard nothing but great things about Loud and Live and Matt O'Keefe. I'm going to have to connect with him and pick his brain a little bit on the show. I'd love you absolutely to- should. Yeah, he's fantastic. That's great, man. Then I also wanted to circle back just briefly. You mentioned the adaptive divisions and we're seeing them at some of these different events that that we just briefly talked about. We're really fortunate to connect with the Adaptive Training Academy out here. Alex Zirkenbach has done just an amazing job connecting with CrossFit. And then he's kind of partnered a little bit with Kevin Ogar, who we had on the show, Logan Aldrich and Casey Acre, two of the fittest one-armed dudes on the planet. If you guys listening haven't checked those guys out, or if you haven't seen it, Armin, what they do is incredible. Like Casey snatches like 245 pounds and catches it on his nub. He has a below, he's a below elbow amputee. And Logan was in here for uh, 21.1 using the RX mark gear, like single arm jump rope. And it's just badass to see what those guys can do. And then obviously we saw on Dave Castro's Instagram, what Kevin Ogar was able to do on the most recent open workout and just huge shout out to those guys. I think it's really cool to show that they're able to do the same things that all these other amazing athletes are able to do. It's just slightly different. And, you know, I, I did want to give a shout out to those guys. Final thoughts from you, man. What are your, what are your thoughts with Dave Castro kind of stepping back into the limelight? Uh, I, I'm not a fan. I was softening up to him a little bit last year. I felt really, uh, I really felt for him for what was going on around him at, at the games or leading up to all this stuff with Greg Glassman. You know, he kind of was shoved into a really unfortunate position to try and like play like PR 
and then he was CEO for a little bit and you know that didn't really pan out for him and I know that that's something that he has wanted for a very long time he is he's very very much wanted to be the guy in charge at CrossFit and I imagine that it kind of is difficult for him to to not be the guy in charge but yeah I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Dave's I think that he's driven a little too much by his own personal gain and ego and the end result of that has been both like really positive stuff within the space but also this very strange coupling between like how the CrossFit Games grows and how Dave Castro as an individual grows and the fact that those things are still kind of linked together is eventually just going to be poisonous for for the the brand like I said, I, I, if I was in Eric Rose's position, the first thing I would have done is cleaned house top to bottom and gotten rid of every single one of those senior management roles. Dave might have been, might, may not have been the first person I would have fired, but he certainly would have been within the first five. And the thing that makes him so challenging, and it's like, I can already hear people listening to this, like, oh, you're just, you're just a Dave hater. It's like, no, man, like he's incredibly good at his job. That's what makes it so challenging because not only is he really good at what he does, but he does a lot of stuff that people don't understand that he's doing. So he's incredibly good at his job, but his job isn't just writing the workouts and programming out the games and figuring out how the sport functions. Part of one of the things that he's been really good at doing is making himself seem irreplaceable and making himself seem an essential factor in CrossFit success as a sport. And I, I don't buy that for one second. I think a guy like Dave, who's incredibly talented and good at what he does, is more replaceable than the games athletes themselves, even though we've had way more games athletes than we've had people like Dave. So that's just, that's just my read on the situation. I would be much more, uh, let's say, uh, as a, with a positive outlook about the, the potential growth of the games if Dave was not running it. Person. Gotcha. gotcha. What are your thoughts on kind of the direction of the sport with the retirement of Matt Frazier that we just heard? And, you know, some of these other athletes kind of follow in suit a little bit and deciding to kind of shift direction. We're, we're kind of seeing the growth a little bit of a high rocks, which may be something that someone like Jacob Hepner leans into, who also announced that he'd be stepping away, at least for now from the competitive side of CrossFit. What are your thoughts on, on that, especially on the male side? Obviously on the female side, we're still talking, you know, Katrin and Tia Claire Toomey and Carrie Pierce and Kristen Holte. But what are yeah. some of your thoughts there? I think that the athletes who like Jake or uh, like Matt, they kind of did what they were expecting to do or got as close to what they were hoping to do as they could. And also realize that the incentives they have to continue being the professional athletes in the sport are not as strong as the incentives they have to step away from the sport. So like, look at not even like Matt, you know, Matt's a, Matt's like a unicorn. I mean, he's made a lifetime's worth of money in the past five years, but Jacob Hepner was working full time when he was training to go to the CrossFit games. It's only the past couple of years that he hasn't been working full time. Uh, he is a, in a tech job and he's a mathematician by, by schooling. Right. So he's like a super nerd and it's only the past couple of years. He hasn't been working full time in that role, but he understands that his energy can be spent in significantly more powerful places 
than training to be a competitive CrossFitter. He can leverage his knowledge, his, uh, his drive, his entrepreneurial spirit in ways that serve the community and keep him engaged with people that doesn't require him to train eight hours a day and compete for one weekend in July. It gives him an opportunity to do a lot more stuff. And I think it's really important for the athletes to understand that they need to be able to recognize those opportunities when they come around. It's not just about gaining, you know, some sort of sponsorship or brand deal. It's about cultivating a community and a group of people and opportunities that arise from those things so that you can create and give back in a way that isn't just how fast can you do a bunch of burpees. And Mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, obviously Matt is starting to understand. He has his own sort of projects in the works between his programming and a few other things that I think he's talked about. Jake is like, God knows, like how many things is is he involved in? He has like his programming. He has a nutrition company. He has like a tech company that does like fitness streaming. He just built that big barn, which I think he's going to start doing like seminars and camps out of like, what, what isn't he doing, you know? And I think there's so much involved in this community and everyone in this space is not only hungry for, but also deserving of that type of uh, product and that type of like a, a, a treatment that it's just opportunity out there for the, for the taking, for the athletes who are uh, able to realize it and able to capitalize on it. And I think, I think more kudos to Matt and, and Jake for being able to do that and uh, sort of lead the way. Cause I think they're going to lead the way for a lot of athletes over the next year or two who are able to retire away from the competitive side of things and yet still stay very much relevant within the community by creating various products that put them in, in the limelight. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there, which is really just spending their energy more wisely to create and give back. I think that's a really cool piece of the sport. Patrick Vellner said to me last week, which was um, what makes fitness so special is that it opens doors to then do other things. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. And these two guys are, are, are paving the way. They, they've got two pretty rad YouTube channels that are competing with, with, with you over here. Um, <laughs> what, what, what's what's kind of next on the agenda for you? What, what kind of projects are you working on and what should we look to see on Arm & Hammer TV on your YouTube channel? I actually have been spending a lot of time recently developing Uh, one specific course, but just like the idea of courses. I've accrued a lot of various skills and connections over the past like 12 years or so doing this. And one of the things that I really enjoy, if you didn't get over the first like, you know, hour of us talking is like, I love to teach. I love to, to pass on knowledge. And so I made this course called the beginner's guide to writing workouts that don't suck. (laughs) <laughs> and I just released that uh, earlier this month through the middle of March is when we went live with that. And it's, uh, it's pretty dense. It's like two and a half hours of video lectures, like 11,000 words of like written lectures. And it's entirely about understanding, you know, the basics of like, why would you write workouts and what does your body do? And then how do those things come together to actually become a workout that you're going to do that day? And the feedback has been really positive so far. It's really just kind of this idea of like, what do I know? What can I communicate? And then what isn't being taught places? And so to follow that up, like there's a lot of different courses that I'm going to be launching over the next year. That's my goal. Like by the end of the year to have a bunch of these different courses, both inside of like very specific CrossFit stuff and outside of very specific CrossFit stuff. 
so that people can have an opportunity to continue learning if they want to. And it's very much, you buy it, you, you get to use it whenever you want. It's at your own pace. You know, you have lifetime access. Like it, it, it's, there's a money back guarantee. If you don't like it, you get like my email address. I get emails all the time from people who are doing it. And I think that is something that I'm very, very excited by the idea of like directly being able to teach things that won't necessarily just like fit on my YouTube channel or fit on Instagram or whatever but have a lot of value to a, a part of the community that doesn't really get served very often. So yeah, that's, that's what I've been, that's really what I've been uh, uh, working on a ton. And I'll be talking about that a lot on my YouTube channel, but the, the place where you can go to find that is just armin.teachable.com, just A-R-M-E-N.teachable. That's cool, man. That's you're just all, like, yeah. You're always finding ways to add value. What were some of the other things that you came out with recently? Didn't you come out with like a one hundred and one workouts and like a sandbag thing too? Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. So I have two eBooks out. One of them is one hundred and one free workouts, which is a collection of workouts that I'd written for my affiliate way back when, kind of uh, curated and put together into like a really easy to read PDF. People sometimes ask like, "Who are you to like teach me how to write a good workout?" It's like, well, I've written and done thousands of them, much less coached them, much less taught other people like my own coaches how to write their own programming. But if you still need proof, like here's 101 workouts as like example that I can write good workouts. And if you hate them all, then don't buy the course. But if you like them all and you want to be able to do that, like buy the course. So the 101 free workouts is, is the first like little ebook thing that I put out. And then the next one we just released uh, last week, I think, is the 50 free sandbag workouts. So that one's like a lot more specific. It's, you know, it's light, medium and heavy sandbags. And it's a whole bunch of different workouts using sandbags. I know I have a few sandbags in my garage that are collecting dust. And I can imagine there's a lot of other people who have sandbags in their garage that's collecting dust or in the corner of the gym that people just put their gym bag on or like their chalk on or whatever. And that is a savage implement, as you and I both know, thanks to Julian. For me, you know, I'm not interested in doing like programming. Like I don't want to create a program for, you know, a ton of people to sign on and pay monthly. That's not really where I think I shine as much as like the workouts are an end result of a thought process. And I think I can teach that thought process. So I give the workouts away for free because that to me isn't where I'm adding the value. The workouts are like, try it, feel it, love it, hate it, like give me feedback on it. But the thought process that got me there, that's the thing that only I can do. Like only I can tell you how I wrote that workout. And because of that, that's the part that's really valuable. So enjoy the workouts. And, you know, if you want, I can teach you how to do it. That's cool, man. Spoken directly from Professor Armin himself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's at right. least in my brain that that's from now on how I'm going to refer to you. That's going to be your name in my phone. That's going to be how I address you from now on. I'm going to strive to make t-shirts. I'm going to spam you all over your YouTube channel with just professor Armin comments. Thank you uh, final thoughts, man, if you could have a billboard or, or a last minute message to the world, what would you like to say? Man, that's a good question. I think that would change like every single day that would change. Uh, it would be something new every single day. I would probably say something like, I'd put a quote, I'd put a quote. And this is the first quote that comes to mind. It's, it kind of is a part of how I, I think about a lot of things. It's, it's not your paintings that I like, it is your painting. So it's not the fact that you put out this end result that is enjoyable. It's the fact that you're doing it. 
and how you're doing it. It's not the paintings that I like, it's the painting. And the act of doing the thing is the most important thing in my life. There's nothing more important and more valuable than the act of doing the thing. Whatever the thing is, just doing the thing. That's the most important and valuable thing you could possibly do. That's rad, man. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us on this afternoon and sharing so much context within the business of CrossFit, the affiliates of CrossFit, the sport of CrossFit, and just your mindset associated with life and business and everything in between. I really appreciate you holding this space, man. Dude, my pleasure, Bryce. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, dude. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast. If you liked what you heard here, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Give Armin a follow over at Armin Hammer TV, right? Yep. Very cool, guys. And as always, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Take care, dude. I'll talk to you soon. Later, man. Thank you.